So um, thank you guys again for um, allowing me to do this. It's a, it is an honor. You know, I've thanked Dominique a couple of different times already. You know, I wanted to do it for free. Uh, and she was just like, no, I'm paying you for your work. You're, you're worth it. And I'm just like, okay, thank you. But I'm, I'm more of the, I, I believe that, you know, and I'm also trying to teach my children. And, you know, I want to just encourage you guys as well that um, it's better to give than to receive, you know, as Jesus said, or, you know, as Paul said, Jesus said, um, it's better to give than to receive. And if Jesus says that and believes that, then I think we should believe that and practice it too. So um, I do believe in getting too, but um, I want to be a giver. So I'm uh, very grateful to be able to give this time. So um, I'm uh, sure, or I think you guys got the workbook that I um, constructed. It's something I worked, have been working on and adding to since COVID. And so um, I just kind of want to um, kind of go through that and give you guys uh, a basic framework of what I use to work with clients who struggle with uh, depression. And um, as you may or may not know, um, I wrote a book about my experience with depression. Um, if you would like to buy a copy of that book, like a physical copy, I know some people like physical copies, you can get it on Amazon. But if you want a free ebook version of it, you can just send me an email and I'll email it to you. Like I said, better to give than to receive. So I can't be a hypocrite and be like, yeah, I want that money. I, it's not about money. It's about if I can put a resource in your hand, I'll, I'll give it to you. Right. And so uh, just email me um, at my email, carboncounseling at gmail.com. And I'll send you the, it's essentially the final transcript that I did with the publisher, but you can look at it on your phone or whatever. But anyhow, um, so I want to start by just kind of going through the workbook. But what I do want to do, I do want to briefly stop at the different scripture passages, because I think it's very important what the Lord was trying to convey to us all as believers, and especially as counselors, or uh, as the one uh, young lady said, as healers, right? Um, the Lord is conveying things to us through not just these three passages that I'm going to focus on at some point, but uh, throughout scripture, because he is called the wonderful counselor in Isaiah. He is uh, and was the man of sorrows. So he's, uh, you know, acquainted with the grief that we deal with and the grief he himself has dealt with. So he's much infinitely equipped to deal with our sufferings of all sorts. But I specifically focus on depression here. And so um, I'm trying to think, should I go through this? I have some disclaimers earlier portion of the book and then or the workbook and then I have some uh, learning objectives which is to develop a basic understanding around addressing clinical depression so this would be for like somebody who has no idea what depression is or they're kind of just like on the fringes of understanding what it is you know anybody could read it obviously but it's mostly was designed for them um, explore the three biblical passages um, that I mentioned or will mention uh, specifically, and then develop a healthy internal dialogue by asking questions and journaling. So the purpose, one of the other purpose of, purposes of this workbook was to get men and women alike to 
journal and write these things down as I found them to be uh, the most helpful outlet to dealing with, you know, intrusive thoughts and uh, depressed feelings and things like that. And uh, the fourth point, bullet point there is to understand and utilize simple tools, steps, and resources to address depression. Um, at any time, please ask a question. Please, you know, interject the thought. You know, I'm a very uh, personable person. I love interaction. Uh, so don't feel bad if you have a question. I'm not going to like stop into Like I want to hear your input. The more, the better. So uh, please ask a question, put a comment out there uh, whenever you uh, feel is best. Uh, so as I mentioned before, I just want to start off with uh, with Christ because he, you know, obviously is the foundation and should be our focus. Um, and uh, the first passage I want to focus on is uh, Mark 14, verses 32 through 42. And I just want to read it. And I just want to maybe point out a couple of different things. There's many things in these passages um, that I could point out and that I think that God, you know, is, is telling us, but, you know, time doesn't permit. And um, I may just uh, write a book about that someday because I think we as therapists and again, as Christians specifically uh, need to know these things, uh, not just for ourselves, uh, but for other people. Um, so I will read that passage because um, in my estimation, it's probably the most powerful passage in all of scripture. Uh, and so I'll read it. Uh, it says uh, in verse 32, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed. If it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And so as I read this passage, this is, is powerful on so many levels, right? It's powerful one because for me personally, the number one reason why Christianity is valid is because Christ suffered. Christ, who, who said he was God, suffered. If, if God did not suffer or has no idea what suffering is, how do I trust him? How do I trust someone who has no idea what suffering is? And so the fact that Jesus suffered and he suffered worse than anybody is 
a reason for me to trust him um, and, and understand him better. Okay, so he, so he suffered. That's number one. Number two, Christ was extremely vulnerable. And with depression and any other mental illness, it is super important that we are vulnerable, right? I know people have been hurt and abused and you have to be you know, uh, discerning about who you open up to. But in general, I think we should be very vulnerable people. As Christians, we should be very vulnerable people. Oftentimes people are closed off and you don't even know that they love Jesus because they are so shut in. But look at Jesus, what he did. He, he poured out his soul to these disciples, right? So he was very vulnerable. And quite frankly, he was depressed. I don't know why Christians have a hard time saying that Jesus was depressed. He was depressed mentally and physically. Uh, he was suffering tremendously. And he even said, if you ever wanted to, um, to hear someone that was suicidal, but didn't plan on killing themselves, this was it right here. He said, my soul is troubled to the point of death. How much, how much clearer or closer to suicide can a person be without having a plan, right? And then he goes on to say, take this cup away from me. If, if that's not suicidal, like in terms of the ideations, I don't know what is. He's, he's asking his father, take it away from me. I don't want it. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Nevertheless, I know this has to be done, right? So final point on this before we move on to the other bullet points, because I do want to get into the clinical aspect of it, is his disciples failed him, as people often fail us and, and depressed people and people with anxiety and PTSD. People fail us. His disciples failed him by being passive and if you're a student of the Bible, you will know that Job's friends failed him by being too active. They had, you know, let's just, we have all the answers. Let's tell you what's wrong with you. You're out there sinning. You're out there doing this, blah, blah, blah. They failed them. They were miserable counselors. Jesus' disciples failed him by being too passive. So as healers, as healers, as, as therapists, we can't fall into those two camps. We can't be too passive. We can't just go with the flow. We have to, you know, be attentive. We have to be attuned to what people are going through. Uh, and we can't be too active to where we're oversimplifying things or we are giving all these solutions and weighing people down with burdens like or, or just speaking unwisely into people's lives. We can't do that. So we gotta avoid these two extremes of being too passive or being too active. Uh, so that's the point. Those are the points I wanted to make with that particular passage. As I said, there's more, but I at least wanted to give you guys that biblical piece before we jump into the other things. Thank you guys, all of you. Um, this is, this is an absolute honor. And um, I, I think whenever you uh, embark on this, on this path, you are taking on a role that again, that Jesus, Jesus is literally in this role right now. He is a wonderful counselor. He is a, he is so many things, but he is a wonderful counselor. And, you know, he uses us in our, in our sinfulness and in our weaknesses to 
love and carry the burdens of the people in our society. And it is such a privilege and it's not talked about a lot. You'll hear about missionaries and pastors, but you will not hear about counselors. And it is a thing, it is a gift like many other gifts. And so I just wanna encourage you all and, um, and thank you all for everything that you will do and have done already. So um, thank you again all. And uh, so let me just move on. I'll try to, you know, move along. And, uh, you know, I also, I don't know if we could do a Q&A or whatever, but, you know, like I said, I want it to be interactive and I, I want you guys to be able to get the maximum benefit out of this. So again, let me know if I'm, you know, moving too fast or going too slow, whatever, you know, I want you guys to get the best out of this. So let me go back to the, the workbook. And as you can see, if you have it uh, in front of you, um, I then move on to talking about identifying depression. So I like to ask people, like, what is depression for you? Like, first of all, what do you think it is? Like, I don't want them to define it and then say, because this is how I define it. This is what it is. But I want to kind of get an idea of what they know about it already and then kind of go from there and then say, OK, listen, let's kind of go through what it clinically means to be depressed. So in the past two weeks, have you had any of these things? And as you can see, mood, behavioral, sleep, whole body, cognitive, cognition or cognitive, you know, weight gain, weight loss, all those things are there. So then, you know, and as I said, I don't go through this with any of my clients. It's just kind of like things I kind of have in my head already. But if someone was, you know, just finding out about depression, or, you know, not necessarily knowing about it, these are some good things to kind of have in front of them, right? Um, as a, as a kind of like as a, I guess, as an expectation or a rule for myself, um, I go through like goals of treatment. Uh, what, what would you like to happen in the next three weeks? What would you like to happen in the next three to six months? That sort of thing. And as clinicians, you guys probably heard all of this stuff already, just kind of the basics, but it's kind of what I go through to um, kind of get these uh, people who have no clinical language uh, or jargon going around. So uh, I use scaling questions uh, every once in a while in session. Hey, how are you feeling? I'm scaling one to 10. Uh, how is your anxiety? How is your depression? Are you, you know, is it wonderful? Are you still like suffering awfully since last time we talked? Things like that. Uh, what, what are some healthy activities that you're doing to raise the number higher? You know, those types of things. Um, I like to point out and ask, like, what are some of your strengths and gifts? You know, are you an artist? Do you draw? Do you write poetry? Do you sing? Do you play sports? Like, tap into those gifts that God has given you as an outlet for that depression or anxiety, you know, and pour into that a little bit more. You can help a lot of people through the suffering that you're going through, as evident by what Jesus did, right? Jesus suffered and he helped billions, maybe even trillions of people. And so that was the ultimate example of suffering and how it can help many others, right? Um, going along, safety plan. You guys, I'm 100% sure you've been over safety plans, but I, I got something simple here, just one or two things that are important to you and worth living for, healthy internal and external 
coping strategies you can use uh, without calling anyone uh, to take your mind off the problem. Uh, some examples there, uh, people or social settings that provide distractions for you. Who can you call in an emergency or just talk to when you are down? So those are kind of some, you know, simple basics. As I said, I'm sure you guys all know. Um, anybody have any thoughts or questions so far before I kind of go into the next section? I really love the safety plan, how you drew that out. I had a general idea because I'm still a student. This gives me a full uh, layout of how things can be done. So thank you very much. Yeah, you're very welcome. And these things, um, if you did like a Google search on safety plans, there's thousands of them and the wording can be altered, but the idea is generally the same. The idea is generally the same. Like, how are you coping? Who can you call? You know what I'm saying? So um, you can you can probably alter them as you go forward. And there's just typically that thread, that common thread that goes through it. And you won't see like um, this golden one per se. But uh, I appreciate that. And um, as I mentioned, uh, you guys, let me know if there's something you want me to cover, want to go back on or, you know, whatever. Please continue to, you know, let me know. Um, so section two. Oh, and also if you want uh or you guys have a copy of it never mind but feel free to share this like if you guys are like yo i want to share this with a person on uh in my class or i want to give this to a family member like give it to them like just pass it out um and maybe it'll help them so section two man i'm so tempted to dive into this like i i want to i want to read this passage because I want you guys to really look at how Jesus cared for this man um, in this passage. And again, we, we spiritualize everything to the point to where we don't see how Jesus in his, in his humanness as, as God, as fully God, but in his fully humanness pursued this man who was a quote unquote lunatic. But in my estimation, as a clinician, and, and as you guys, maybe you guys never saw it in this light. It took me a while to see it in this light. But I want you guys, as I read this passage, I want you to let me know if you think this guy was dealing with any mental illness. He was demon possessed. And I'm not sitting up here saying, if you are mentally ill, you're demon possessed. I don't, I don't believe that necessarily. Like you could, like, could someone be possessed and then be mentally ill? Yeah, of course. But I don't think we see it often. I don't think you're going to see people coming into your, your office shaking and convulsing because their husband uh, is spending their money like and possessed with a demon. You're not going to see it. But it, it can happen. If we believe in scripture, it can happen. So I want to read this passage. And I want you guys to see the care of Jesus in all of it. And I want you to let me know if you think this guy had a mental illness after I read through it. Okay. So it's in Mark 5, Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 21. Let's see, Mark chapter 5. I should have had this pulled up, but I don't. Here we go. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs 
a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2000 rushed down a steep bank in the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen's fled and let's see. Okay. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stop there. Okay. So there, as you know, in the gospels, there are many gospel accounts, you know, there's, I just read Mark, you know, there's Luke, Matthew, and John, right? In the different accounts, if you read those different accounts, they give different details. And so I had a list at one point, but just in this passage alone, you see this guy is alone. He's isolating. That's what depression does. You isolate, right? He's cutting himself. As a, as a clinician, when you assess someone, you always ask them, are, you, are there any self-injurious behaviors, right? So even though this guy's demon-possessed, He's exhibiting symptoms of someone who has mental illness. So he's isolating. He's cutting. He was naked. In one passage, it says he, he's naked. He's out in the wilderness naked, right? Um, he's aggressive, right? Uh, he's screaming, right? He's crying. Uh, one of the uh, symptoms of depression is either you're not crying at all or you're crying way too much. This guy was crying way too much, right? And so if you go through all four of the passages or the three of the passages of this particular situation, you'll start to gather the symptoms of what this guy's going through. And if you look at the symptoms that I uh, mentioned, the categories at the front of this uh, workbook, the guy checks off like nine of them, I think. So at the very least, he was experienced depression. At the very worst, who knows, but over I mean, at the very worst, he was demon possessed, right? And so, but there was some mental illness there. Um, the other thing, and I won't read it just for time's sake, is if you continue to read that passage, look at the care that Jesus had for that man. He, he went across the sea to meet this guy. He, uh, he, he sought him out. And here's a part that I don't think people talk about that much. If you read further in that passage, it says this man was sitting at Jesus' feet and he was dressed. And get this part. He was in his right mind. 
It didn't say he was in his right spirit. It didn't say anything about his spiritual condition, even though God had cast the demons out of him. But he was in his right mind. And that's when I go back to say, I think Jesus really wanted to drive home to us that mentally this guy was unstable. And now he was mentally stable. And so he was not only spiritually stable, he was mentally stable as well. Okay. But Jesus cared for that man very well, uh, just as he cared for everyone else. And um, the final thing I'll say on this, just to, um, to point to how much Jesus cared for him, is uh, the passage says he was clothed and in his right mind. My question was, where did the guy get his clothes from? Where did he get his clothes from? Either Jesus miraculously created this guy's clothes or he told his disciples, like he told them in other passages, go get them food, go get them food, go get, go do this. Or, you know, he could have said, hey, let's walk to your house and get clothes. But from that passage, it seems like he got those clothes almost right away because he was sitting at Jesus' feet. And so I just want you guys to know as, as therapists um, and as Christians, if you, if you do trust Christ and believe in Christ, that our mindset at the deepest level should be for the concern of the people across from us, a deep concern. Uh, this person is made in the image of God concern, a deep concern like that. Like if, if I cause this person harm or this person is going through harm, I want to love them as if it's me sitting in that chair and that's the type of love that Jesus did for this uh, this this man who was uh, possessed with uh, spirits or demons, and who was clearly, I think, dealing with mental illness as well. Um, and so, I'm just gonna, you know, kind of briefly cover the two points there uh, under this section, which is family history and drug use and spiritual life. And then, if you guys have any questions, um, you know, let me know. But um, so as, as you know, I would imagine as most of you are, you know, uh, in the marriage and family therapy sort of uh, specialty that this might come up, right? Family history and drug use. Uh, what was life growing up? Have you experienced any trauma? Have you used or do you currently use drugs? You know, marijuana is big now, it's legal, everybody's smoking, right? So are you smoking? And are you using marijuana to, to cope with your marital issues, right? Uh, does depression or any other mental illness or physical illness run in your family, right? Spiritual life, um, as you know, some of you identify as Christians. Uh, all I don't know if you all are Christians, so pardon me if, if you're not. I just, I'm assuming all of you are. Um, so with spiritual life, and especially what I found when I was going through depression myself, is I, I had to ask these questions because the depression was so dark. I'm just like, God's thoughts towards me are awful. He hates me, you know, and my feelings were higher than what the truth of scripture was saying. And so these are why I ask these questions here. Be, you know, what do you think God's thoughts are towards you? Are you relying on your feelings or the truth of scripture? you know, which one holds the most weight and which one should hold the most weight. Um, 
in my depression, this had to be one of the most powerful scripture passages uh, during that time. Uh, in one of the passages, uh, Christ says that if any man comes to me, I will by no means cast him aside. So if any one of you or any of your clients are dealing with depression and they are a Christian or even not a Christian, Jesus says that if any person comes to him, he won't cast them out. And so if you are coming to Jesus with doubt, unbelief, anger, and you're coming to him, look at that as a sign that Jesus is actually drawing you. Because in another passage, he says, no man comes to me unless the father draws him. So the father is drawing you. And when you come to Jesus, he's not going to be like, I don't want you. He's going to be like, I want you because my father is actually drawing you to me. So that was one of the most encouraging things to me. I was depressed. I was doubting. I was hating Jesus, but I was coming to him with my hate, with my anger. And he was like, I'm not going to cast you out. It felt like he was casting me out, but he was essentially saying, and you're coming to me, that's showing that I'm not casting you out. What's casting you out is you're not coming to me. What's casting you out is you've renounced your faith in me. That's, that's casting you out. But if you just one inkling, one, one mustard seed of faith of, I just would love to believe in you, Jesus, but I can't, it's hard. That's him working. That's him pulling you. Okay. And then finally, and honestly, um, man, for the past 15 years, I've been doing this and it's been an absolute blessing is keeping a gratitude journal or listing five things you are thankful for, you know, today or each day, you know, what, what are you thankful for? What could you be thankful for? I woke up this morning, you know, my wife made me coffee. Uh, a car almost hit me today and almost, you know, you know, rear ended or hit me head on, but, you know, but I swerved out the way or whatever the case may be. I thank God, even if I don't feel thankful, I know these things are things I should be thankful for. And I want to pray that God would give me the feelings associated with the things that I should be thankful for. And if not, it's okay, but I'm going to pray that he would do it someday for me, you know? So praying and thinking in those ways and journaling in those ways, how often do you pray? How often do you read scripture? You know, if you're depressed, it's hard to do that. A lot of times you don't want to read scripture because scripture condemns you with the depression. Scripture makes it seem like God hates you, but if you can read it, read it. And if you can pray, pray. Is there sin in your life? You know, this, I don't lead with this. That's what Job's friends led with, right? Job's friends led with you're sinning. You must be doing something wrong, right? You got to be doing something wrong. And it's like, no, that's not always the case. Sometimes God just brings trials in our life. We don't have to be sinning, but sometimes people are sinning and God is like, yo, I need you to pay attention to what you're doing wrong. And I want you to change it. And so at some point I had to ask myself and other people have to ask themselves, what, what am I doing is wrong? And what would turning away from it look like? You know, uh, what are some ways 
this goes back to what I said earlier about it's better to give than to receive. And it's, you know, obviously Jesus exemplified it perfectly by serving, becoming a servant, being the greatest and becoming a servant. What are some ways you can take attention off of yourself and off of the depression that you're experiencing by serving others? Even if it's something small, writing letters to people, writing emails to people, praying for people, even in the midst of that depression, just praying, just doing things small or big, but how can I serve people in the midst of my suffering? And one more thing I want to add to this before um, I ask you guys if you have any questions is notice what Jesus did um, in the Garden of Gethsemane when we, we read that first passage. Notice what he was doing at the lowest point of his life where he's asking his Holy Father to remove the cup of wrath from him. Notice what he was doing. He was more concerned about his disciples than he was about himself. He said, you, you guys need to be praying. If that was me, I would have been like, yo, y'all, why y'all not, you know, helping me? And, and, and I don't care about, I'm, I'm the one suffering right now. But in Jesus' suffering, he still cared for his disciples and said, you guys should be praying because the flesh is weak and the spirit is willing. So that shows me and tells me that Jesus modeled for us, even in your worst suffering, you can still help others. You can still encourage others. In fact, you might be the best encourager when you're suffering because you're like, I know what it feels like to be miserable. And, um, Unlike the saying, misery loves company, I don't believe that. I coined a new phrase. It's misery needs and yearns for fellowship, compassion, and empathy. So I flip it on his head and say, no, no, misery does not love company. Misery needs fellowship. Jesus is showing us he's, mis he's in misery. He's in turmoil. I need compassion. I need fellowship. I need empathy right now, not you sleeping and ignoring my mental state, <laughs> you know? So anyhow, um, any questions? I, I feel, I don't, I don't like to be the, I, I just, you know, let me, let me hear from y'all, man. Tell me something. Anything? Well, I never, I want to thank you for um, bringing that, um, well, for me, the new perspective of Jesus um, actually experiencing depression. Um, it makes sense because, I mean, according to my faith and how I've been taught, you know, I do believe in Jesus being 100% man, 100% God and experiencing all of our infirmities, but I never, all means all but I never thought about depression being a part of that. So mm -hmm. thank you for highlighting that. Absolutely. Yeah, it, for me, I think um, since being a therapist and going through the depression, uh, going through depression myself, it, it really, I think, gave me a, a, a more broader perspective on what Jesus went through. Like clearly he suffered for our sins, right? But I think as we, as we grow in our faith and, grow in our experiences in life, 
I think God does open up them doors to be like, listen, this, his truth is timeless. And there's just so many beautiful and wise thing in God's words. And so, you know, I think, you know, for me, it was just, you know, uh, being a therapist and going through it and being like, man, Jesus sounds like not, you know, like suicidal ideations. He's not like, I want to kill myself, but he's like, if you could take this away, that would be, that would be pretty nice. Right. So, yeah. Thank you for that thought. Um, I guess I'll hop into the next session and again, our next section. And as I said, guys, if you have any questions, let me know or thoughts. Um, so um, this, I kind of added later in the workbook. It, this workbook is like a work in progress. Sometimes I think I'll turn it into a book of some sort. Other times I just keep adding things or taking things out. But this is like a spiritual life recap. And I uh, just kind of have a few things in there, reading scriptures, uh, praying, fellowship, serving, praises, whether it's singing or, you know, just writing thanksgivings or things like that. Um, the way Christ, Christ counseled, uh, section three, is Christ counseled. And um, this is another one of those, like, uh, revelations i i really believe that the, the spirit kind of just revealed this to me like through scripture is like because i've always asked myself if jesus like in isaiah it says you know uh mighty god wonderful counselor prince of peace i'm like if 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 jesus is a wonderful counselor how did he counsel people where did he counsel people and uh one of my favorite um accounts in scripture like um is uh is in luke the road to emmaus and um i'm not gonna read it uh just for time's sake but um i actually put this in my book at the very back of the book and i just want you guys on your own time to look at this passage and let me know or you don't have to let me know but just within within your faith with Christ, if you think this is accurate. Um, but as I was reading this, I'm like, yo, Jesus was counseling here, okay? So he was on the road to Emmaus with these two guys, as you know, uh, Jesus had uh, was crucified, was buried, and he had rose from the dead, but a lot of people didn't know it. So he encounters these guys, these two guys on the road to Emmaus, and you know, he, he draws near to them and they're sad and depressed and all these things. And Jesus starts talking to them. So in this passage, the way Jesus counseled, um, how I, how I believe based on reading the scripture, um, Jesus was very intentional about his care as he drew near to these two men, right? That's in verse 15 of uh, Luke chapter 24. He drew near to them. He was intentional. He wasn't passive. It was like an intentional thing. I'm going to draw near to these two guys and help them. Uh, he listened well. He was asking them questions. He was listening. Uh, he encouraged with scripture. Uh, again, he asked questions. He challenged them. He allowed for vulnerability. He wasn't like, man up. You shouldn't, you know, suck it up. You should do this. You should do that. You shouldn't be this way. He let them be themselves. He let them be vulnerable. They were like, man, we thought this was the Messiah. They were, they were, they were heartbroken, to say the least. 
he spent time with them. That's the most, I think, important one is he spent time with them. They were like, hey, uh, we have a dinner. Could you please come? And he was like, sure, I'll come. He broke bread with them. He he actually, um, I love it because it said, starting with Moses and the prophets, he expounded truths to them. Do you know how long it would take? And that's why I think he spent a lot of time with them. Maybe he just highlighted, you know, different scripture passages, but starting from Moses and the prophets talking about how the Messiah would suffer, it had to be at least an hour. I don't know. It seemed like a, lo a long time. So Jesus was intentional about spending time with these two men. So I just love that. That's the counseling spirit of Jesus, right? So um, read that passage for yourself and let me know, or like, again, just amongst yourself or even between you and God. Is, does this does this show that Jesus is a counselor or is it just me making stuff up? But I, I believe it was like showing like, yo, this is why Jesus is the wonderful counselor, you know? So with that said, um, I'll move to uh, uh, diet, sleep, exercise. These are so important when it comes to depression. I was doing a lot of this stuff when I was depressed. I was like, my sister helped me immensely. Um, she was like, you know, Carl, let's go to the Y, let's do yoga, let's run on a treadmill. Um, she was like, you, know, you should try some milk baths, you should try St. John's Ward. You know, I was trying to take melatonin for sleep. Um, I was trying to eat better. It just, it wasn't really changing the depression, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't stop. You should stop these things. You should continue to exercise, continue to eat healthy cut out sugars to cut out fattening foods like so much is tied into our mental health based off of what we eat in fact there's a book out there called you are what you eat or no i'm sorry your brain on food i forget the name of the doctor but um it's a really good book and she talks about the um what is that nerve the vagus the vagus nerve i think that connects from the brain down to the stomach and spreads over the stomach like tree roots and everything you eat it sends a message to your brain and your brain back to your stomach and it affects the way you feel it's like a scientific thing that i didn't know until about until last year everything you eat though everything you eat affects the way you feel and think at some point right either either a little very minor or not at all or tremendously right um, I'm sure you guys have heard of all these different diets, um, just in terms of just, just hearing about it. Right. My wife was like, Oh, you, you want to go on the whole 30 diet with me? I was like, at first I'm, I'm in my head. I'm like, nah, ha <laughs> ha. See, you know, right. So I'm like in my head, no, she's like, you want to do it with me? And I'm like, I, I can't say no. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, what does it entail? She's like, well, no pizza. I'm like, dang, that was, that was kiss. So no pizza, you know, no, no, no beer or alcohol, no, no sugars, no processed foods, no fast food. I'm like, dang, that sounds miserable. But I'm like, if you would do it, you know, I, I'm trying to be like Christ and trying to love my wife, like Christ loves the church. So I'm like, all right, I'll do it. So we do it. And let me tell you, 
if you guys have never done it or want to think about doing it, it works. It's great. It was amazing. And so, and I've, I haven't done it since, but I have cut certain foods out of my diet. So you're cutting out like dairies and sugars and processed stuff and like no fast food. Anyhow, I want to tell you, I thought better. I slept better. I felt better. It was crazy. And I'm not like, I, I have never really felt like I needed to lose weight. Let's just say that. But I still lost 12 and a half pounds, 12 and a half pounds. And people are like, yeah, you look different. You look, you look good. And I'm just like, I was on the whole 30, you know, and, uh, exercise diet, man, those things are, and can be, you know, drastically, you know, a, a game changer for depression, anxiety, mental illness. My wife struggles with anxiety. And I think once she stops certain dairies, she actually is not as anxious. Another reason why you are what you eat, or as clinicians may say sometimes, your stomach is your second brain. Your stomach is your second brain. And so that's really it on exercise. I won't on sleep and diet. I won't go into it too much, except for, for sleep. I would say, you know, maybe uh, trying to um, have a very uh, regimented sleep uh, routine and to um, try to decrease stimuli during sleep, um, loud music, instead of loud music, soft music, uh, maybe some sort of aromas or candles around, not a ton of lighting, very dim lights, you know, those types of things, uh, hot baths, you want to try to calm down as much as possible because you're trying to go to sleep. Um, just jump into treatment options. Um, these are just some that I've, there's two of them that I just heard about and haven't done myself, but there's the cranial massage therapy. There's sun lamps. I have one. I almost put one on for this meeting. Uh, acupuncture, acupressure mats, uh, repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation, massages, counseling, obviously, medications, salt baths, or the salt tank, or the uh, desensitization tank, I think they're called, uh, that you can lay in or kind of go into the spa and put your headphones in or waterproof uh, earplugs and go lay in the salt baths. Or if you got money, you can like go to the Dead Sea and, and do that. But, you know, it's like everybody ain't got their student loans paid off. So we're not trying to do that. But um, and then finally, um, I just I kind of just created these two exercises um, at the end here. And, you know, kind of talk about what CBT is essentially using and, and hear me out. I think CBT is all the way back in the Psalms of the Old Testament. All it is, if you look at it, David is oftentimes doing certain things and thinking certain things to change the way he feels. He's like, you know, I will praise you, God. I will think and reflect on your truths and I will go to the temple and I will, you know, I will do certain things to feel this way. You know, so I think CBT is like a God idea and it's all the way back in the Old Testament. If I think this way and act this way, eventually I might feel this way or I will feel this way if God so permits, right? 
Um, so two of the exercises, three of the exercises briefly is, you know, I call it the forest for the tree and that tree in the middle is I feel worthless. And then the other trees, if you look around the forest and not focus on that or try not to focus on that one dark tree in the middle of the forest, look around the forest. You got to really look sometimes in depression. There's a small pine tree growing over there. And that is my child just said, I love you. There's a giant oak tree over there that says, um, I'm going to try to focus on what I'm thankful for, you know, and then there's another, you know, sapling or plant or something growing over that says, um, I just learned I'm not the only one going through depression. So just kind of giving people a visual, visual um, marker, because, you know, we, we all learn different ways and we all get encouraged different ways. So whether it's journaling or, or pictures or, or drawing diagrams or having a whiteboard in your kitchen or in your bedroom, these exercises are to kind of give people that encouragement to do those things. Um, and then, you know, there's the other example of narrow versus wide perspective. I won't go in that, into that one, but I do want to talk about the courtroom activity. Oh yeah, go for it. Um, okay. So if you have a client that is suffering from depression and you're giving them different ideas and different things that they should try and they don't try them, like, what do you do? Because I hear you saying that you know, you didn't want to go to the gym and you didn't want to change the way you eat and your sister and your wife helped you. But how do you get them to that place where, because they're miserable, but I don't know if they realize that they're miserable. So how do yes. you get them to the place of, listen, you really have to like want to do this thing? Oh, yeah. And and I was doing those things. Um, I was I was doing them. So I was like, sometimes this is what needs to happen, because for me. I felt like I was going to die. There was, th that was it. Like, it was like, I was at the end of the road. I will try anything. So that's where I was. I was, I was doing it. I was exercising yoga, milk bath, St. John. I did it all. Was it working? No, but I'm like, what's next? I'll do the next thing. So, but going to your point about would they what would they do or how do you get them to do it? I continue to go to the scale and questions of how are you feeling right now? What would it take for you to get to uh, a three? What would it take for you to get to a five? And, and as they're telling me, well, if I exercise, it might get me there. Okay, well, you have to do that. And then, so it's like, as a therapist, as you know, it always has to go back to the client. It always, the ball has to go back in their court. We can't make you do anything. We can't, we didn't make you come to therapy. How are we going to make you do something else? Right. So, you know, I, I, I implore you to try these things, to do these things. Otherwise we're just going to be here the next week talking about the same thing, you know, so try it. And, and if you don't do it, you know, I'll be here with you to encourage you again, you know, until you do it, you know, until like my goal is to, 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 to see you better. And if you're not doing that, I'm going to keep over and over again saying, well, these are the things that you should do and could do at least try to knock one of them off your list. And then I asked, okay, um, someone told me someone, uh, just last night I was counseling. I went swimming with my kids. 
How did that make you feel? Good. Great. Keep doing that. You, you, you have living proof. It's not something I made up. It's not something I uh, psychologized into your brain. You actually did it. It actually worked. And you know it worked. So keep doing it. You know what I mean? Did I answer your question? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Great question too, by the way. Um, that is, I think, essentially it. Uh, there are some like resources here I, I list like I, um, you know. Oh, uh, if you guys are inclined to, um, if, you, if you've dealt with depression or are dealing with it or know someone who is dealing with it, please encourage them to join my private Facebook group. It's called Surviving Depression. I started it like March of last year and it kind of took off. It's not like thousands of people, but it's like, you know, six, I think 600 people and we support each other in there. We support each other. And I tell them all about, you know, being vulnerable. And it's like, it's, it's more harder for men to be vulnerable, but I'm like, yo, I ain't got nothing to be ashamed of. And I know the healing effect of being vulnerable. So trying to get more guys in there, especially to be more vulnerable, but it's a support group. And there's many on Facebook. It's not like I'm saying this is the best group by any stretch, but if you're like, hey, I know somebody dealing with depression, send them to the group, you know, we'll encourage them, we'll welcome them, you know, we'll support them as much as we can. Um, having my first annual surviving depression meetup here in Rochester, New York, we're meeting at this arcade, uh, retro arcade and burger joint first like 15 people i'm gonna give free t-shirts and pay for their food their burgers and we just gonna take pictures and um hang out get out get out the house spend some time with people and you know get to know each other network so um i'm gonna do that and hope it turn out well if you guys could pray for that that would be great and uh, also i am um this guy who uh, runs a not-for-profit Christian organization called uh, Forefront that focuses on Christian artists. I had breakfast with him sometime like a year or two ago. I think it was two years ago. And he was like, Carl, if you write a book on depression, I want to do a video documentary on it. And I was just like, okay. And I, you know, when people say stuff like that, I don't know how you guys are. I'm just like, it's, it just kind of sounds good, but you don't know if they really mean it or not. This dude was for real. After I wrote the book, he was like, yo, you want to work on that that thing? And I was like, yeah. So we have a, um, a three-part educational series. So my book is called The Progressive Darkness. The educational series on uh, Vimeo is supposed to be called Progressing from Darkness. And I talk about the ways that you know God brought me out of the darkness. So the book is me going into it, and the video series is me coming out of it and trying to help people through that way. So hopefully that'll be out this year at some point, and uh, I could pass it on to Dominique, and she could pass it on to you guys or whatever. But that's all I got for now. Unless you guys got any questions. Uh, uh, that's it. That's all I got. I'm all out. I mean, yeah. All right. I have a, I have a question. Um, yes. So who 
this may seem obvious, but I'm just going to ask you. Yeah, cool. Who should be, who is the appropriate um, person, I guess, to decide if someone is experiencing depression? For What I mean is, should it be the client or the clinician? For example, if you are dealing with the client and they're showing you, so, they're there for something else, but they you're seeing signs of depression, mm-hmm. um, but they're not bringing that to you. They're talking about some other thing. I mean, do you as a clinician introduce that? Yeah, of course. Oh yeah. Like if it's there, it's like, you, you might not be aware of it, but it's there. And I, you know, as a, as a clinician, I can't let this slide, you know? So, um, oh yeah, absolutely. So mm. even, even if the client was like, I don't think I'm depressed. Right. That's like, what I was wearing yeah, to. Okay. I'd be like, you know, Hey, look, I mean, we, we went through the Beck's depression inventory. We went through the PHQ nine and, you know, if, if we're sitting there with each other, I could show them on the scale. Look, man, this is how you score. You know, these are these are researchers and scientists like using this scale and saying this is how you, you you're clinically depressed, you know. And then again, so conversely, let's just say they're coming to you saying citing depression, but they don't they're not scoring that way. Um, yes. Is it up to the clinician to accept what that what your client is telling you or. Do you just. I guess I'm just, I, I can see where like someone could say, you know what, this is how I'm feeling, blah, 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 yeah. but they're not showing any other, any other evidence of it. Like, right. how are you, how do you handle that as a clinician? That's a, that's a very good question. Um, I, well, well, you guys know, as clinicians, you know, that you never want to invalidate anyone's feelings, right? You never want to do that. That's the worst thing you could do. So, I take what they say at face value. And and I and I try to go deeper with that too. Like, okay, if you're feeling this way, like tell me more. And that's why, you know, at the front of the of the workbook, I'm like, what, why do you think you're depressed? And at some point, I'm hoping that in their narrative, there's something that they uh left out earlier. Where I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, that that could be something then. But if they go through the narrative and we're talking over the course of, you know, the, the first session or maybe even the second session, uh, then I may be coming, you know, with what the uh, what the assessment says and, and, you know, and saying like you're not you're not experiencing historically what it means to be depressed. You know what I mean? And so clinically, you're not depressed. Clinically, you're based off of these tools which are used to measure clinical depression. You're not clinically depressed. But this is why I did this workbook, because guess what? They may not be clinically depressed, but maybe they're spiritually depressed. Maybe they feel like God is not close to them. I just feel like I don't love God. No no clinical tool can really measure that, right? If you're like, I feel happy, I, I, I enjoy worldly pleasures. I love my wife, my kids, my job but I just don't love Jesus. And, and that bothers me. And I'm sad. Dude, that's, that's a spiritual depression. Let's talk about it. That's a dark night of the soul. That's what 
Charles Spurgeon experience. That's what Job and Jesus and Paul and David, you know what I'm saying? So that's when I would start to maybe have those conversations, you know? Okay. I would, the only reason I ask those questions is because I know sometimes certain terms um, go into the mainstream and then everybody's using it yes. and then they may come to you yeah. and depressed or yep. this person's a narcissist or whatever. Yeah. So I just wanted to clarify. Yes. That's that's okay. a very good question because some one of my uh, my brother in law, I was saying like in Rochester. And by the way, are you got are you guys all in New York City? Okay, all right, yeah. So in Rochester, it's very like cloudy and overcast a lot of times. Like especially in the winter, it is miserable over here uh, with the clouds and stuff. And so I'm like, as I get older. I want to kind of move to where I was born and that's Florida or at least somewhere South. I need to get sunshine. So I said, you know, like the sunshine is, um, is will help a lot of depressed people feel like better. And one of my brother-in-law on Facebook was just like, everybody's depressed in, in Rochester in Western New York. And I'm just like, dude, I'm not talking about this fabricated depression. I'm not talking about this cliche depression. I'm talking about clinical depression. Let's be clear with that. You know what I mean? And so um, I had to say something to him there because people, as you say, in society, they start to use these clinical terms loosely. Like you say, oh, he's a narcissist. He's this, he's that. And it's like, no, he's not. If <laughs> you don't have a clinical diagnosis, you can't be saying that people are that. You know what I mean? And so... Um, yeah, the sunshine. Oh my, it's a beautiful thing. Get, you know, get out in that sunshine. But yeah. So uh yes, any other questions uh from you guys? Tina, uh or Orsum, is that how you say your name? Uh Takaya. Anybody? No, I'm I'm good. You answered my question. Okay. I just didn't know if you had any additional questions. No, I'm good. Okay, okay. Everything's awesome. Great. Thank you. I appreciate it. Awesome. That was that was amazing. Thank you. Thank you for appreciate coming. You. That was some Pleasure. good information. Pleasure. Thank I so appreciate much. it. Can you, can you, Thank you. Sorry. Can you send the link to your book so I could send it to them? Absolutely. And then you could throw your email in there too for the for the ebook. Right. That's correct. Yep. Let me how do you access that after the chat i was trying to figure like i did a zoom well, I, meeting yeah i could just you could actually email it okay oh because you did email it to me okay i have that so then i'll just copy okay. and paste and send it to the ladies um or they collect like, that link really quick okay so do you have my email or you want me to put it in the chat too i have your email okay yeah, all right this morning okay all right that is right that's awesome okay. All right, guys, I guess that's it. We'll see you at the end of the month for another one. Yeah. Thank you so much, Carl, for yeah. everything. That was awesome. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Like I said, guys, it's an mm -hmm. honor. And um, if you ever, and I, maybe I'll just share this one last thing. When I was going through the depression, I said, God, there is no way you will use this for good. You, you know, you always say, like in Romans, all things work for the good of those who love you. 
there's no way I promise you that you can use this. And again, you know, blasphemous, sinful, depressing thoughts. And it, it's almost as if God was like, oh, you just wait. You just wait. What you went through, I will use it several times over. And, and he says that with all of us, every single one of us. We don't think God might use it for something, but in some way he will do it. And so um, he did that with that depression. He, was, he said a book, the workshops, whatever you do, it's going to be used. You're going to reflect. And all the time, situations like this, I'm going back and like, like, dang, God, you really did use it. And I'm sorry for doubting you. You know what I mean? So just wanted to share that and encourage you guys, hopefully. So praise God. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. All right, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you again, Carl. You did amazing. You did amazing. Appreciate it. Thank you. Praise God. Have a good day, everybody. Thank you. Bye.